this is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona, this is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is gonna have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. All right. Well, as you can see, Jack Posobiec here sitting in for Stephen K. Bannon while Steve is off fighting the regime once more. But fortunately for all of us here in the audience that I've got sitting next to me riding shotgun as well, the beautiful and lovely Tanya Tay Posobiec. Sweetheart, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So when you woke up this morning, you didn't even know that you were going to be hosting, did you? Well, uh, what I've realized in our marriage is every time I wake up is a new day full of adventures with I you. I did and promise. I never know. I did promise that it would never be boring, that it would never once be boring. And have I kept that promise? Every single day. <laughs> <laughs> every single day, yeah. When, uh, you know, when we're not having people show up outside of our house screaming, just kidding, just kidding. It never happens. Never happened. But. Wanted to get into the news, but because we have here Richard Barris, the People's Pundit. Now, Richard has, and I haven't spoken in a little while, but we're getting closer to the primary season. We've got a couple of candidates that have kicked off, and I wanted to bring Richard on to kind of explain to us what he's looking at and what the, what the big data poll is looking at in terms of the electorate right now. Do we have Richard? Yes. Richard, are you up? Sure am, buddy. How you been? Been great. How are you, my friend? Living the dream as always. It's good to uh, good to be back on. And uh, hello, Tanya. It's lovely to see you. Laura says hello. Great to see you and say hi from me, too. So, so, Richard, I wanted to get into this because we've seen a lot of these polls out there lately i'm sure you've seen them as well we're looking at the primary field um pretty much all of them at this point are including desantis even though uh he has not announced i think there's kind of a will he won't he sort of situation going on right there but certainly people are including him he's doing numbers the washington post just had a huge story yesterday saying that if you look at uh, at the numbers for where Trump and DeSantis are, they're both in that line of where you've seen a lot of people go on to eventually win the nomination. You've also seen other candidates out there like Nikki Haley, who's thrown her hat in. Vivek Ramaswamy throw, has thrown his hat in. Another name who will be speaking later this week at CPAC is Mike Pompeo. I think there's a lot of questions about him. There's even kind of a, a sort of buzz around the the uh, the neocon warmonger John Bolton as well. So I wanted to get your take on what you're seeing with the Republican primary electorate right now in terms of all these polls. Where do things stand? Do you think Trump has it locked up? Or do you think, like the Washington Post is saying, that Republican primary voters are ready to move on from Donald Trump? Yeah, so we are including Mike Pompeo in our polling. We're including, you know, we're not going crazy like some mm. of these other polls where we're just wildly speculating. If there's real talk, Jack, and you know and I know we speak to people, whether something is serious or not, Nikki Haley is in there, uh, Mike Pence is in there, Donald Trump's in there, DeSantis is in there. And I look, I, it's early, but this I, to say that they're ready to move on from Trump is ridiculous. Uh, the, the fact is, we did see him tick down after the midterms, but then he popped right back up, Jack, and he's looking like he's stronger uh, than in any time before. And we also include someone else, so we're gauging you know, how many people are just not for Trump. Uh, but the fact is, he's been in the majority numbers now. So it's early, but it's hard uh, it's hard to say he's not an early favorite. Uh, DeSantis voters are edu more educated voters and a Republican primary. And I just want to say this. They're college educated voters. All right. There's a big difference in my mind. And this and uh, Republican primary is not dominated by these voters. So, you know, if uh, if it's working class and Trump is still thumping everybody by 32, 35 points, then it will be Donald Trump. Somebody has to pick away the working coalition from Trump. That's it. It really is that simple. So 
when it, when you're looking at it, this in terms of it, are you doing national electorate or are you going state by state? Are you doing any early states looking at anything like that? We'll do early states fairly soon, but right now we're just looking at the national trend because we want, you know, a couple of months ago I wanted to get a baseline and we'll have a trend from there. Uh, these early states tend to move with those national numbers. If people remember, uh, Ted Cruz was the state favorite, except for the Seltzer poll. He was the state favorite going into the Iowa caucus, but those national numbers were moving so quickly in 2016 that Trump almost beat him. And he would have beat him if it wasn't for the dirty Carson dropped out trick, which I don't know if everybody remembers members, but I can actually you know, make a, a strong mathematical argument that Cruz would not have won the Iowa caucus if he didn't pull that dirty trick. And uh, then obviously by the time we got to New Hampshire, uh, that was Trump's first uh, pretty big win. He took every county in South Carolina, swept those 50 delegates. So um, we're looking at the national this early because it really is a good indicator. The states will lag behind, but they will follow the national numbers. The momentum will for the most part, for the most part. Well, and people, by the way, people forget that trick all the way back in, in early 2016. This was the first uh, competition, right? It's not a, it's not a primary, it's a caucus. But there was this, was it, was it a call or was it an email? I remember that went out and then it went out to oh. press and it started getting reported everywhere that Carson had dropped out and that was urging people to vote for Cruz. And it just wasn't true. It wasn't true at all. Yeah, it was both. Uh, it was an email that went out. They were robocalling. And for people, okay. who don't yeah, for people who don't understand the Iowa caucus, uh, you know, Trump had no precinct captains. He had no infrastructure. He just had these like uh, base uh, grassroots people unaffiliated with the campaign making the case at each caucus site. Whereas Cruz had precinct captains, captains and he had infrastructure and he had people who were associated and knew the Carson people. So he would go out. Carson did not have that whole area covered. And his team went out and basically at last last minute said, Carson dropped out. He wants you to back Cruz. Uh, and they made that case. And look, it's not just me. Even Carl Rove argued. And of course, Carl Rove was anti-Trump. But even Carl Rove said, look, the math is right. Uh, those who are saying this uh, are making uh, a legitimate point. And it's not. And we're talking about four caucus goers per site. If you just convince four per site, Jack. Uh, it would have been over. So, um, and that was without Trump having any organization. He has an organization this time. So that's important for people to remember. And Iowa's and the first primary contest, you know, he wasn't the favorite last time because he wasn't the traditional conservative. But what issue has dominated the Iowa caucuses since like the 80s, Jack? Abortion, Roe v. Wade, con social conservative yes. values. Trump, Trump is the only one who's going to be able to tell the caucus goers in Iowa. They're all making promises. I ended Roe v. Wade. That's powerful. That's absolutely huge. And I, I think a lot of people have to remember, too, that in 2016, the fact that Trump didn't win that first out of the gate caucus it was used then to create this narrative that he's never going to reach the threshold for delegates he's never going to reach the threshold delegate he's never going to make it to the rnc and that was which then by the way after he did get there and get there in spades that was then used to say well he'll never make it to 270 he can't get it he can't win the electoral there's no path through the electoral college he's never going to be able to do this he was able to do that as well but that was used right. to create this idea of a horse race and to say that Trump doesn't have it locked up. He just doesn't have it down because they game the system of the Iowa caucus. Now, what I'm going to say, though, is, is do you see that same type of media narrative forming? Because I certainly do. And it's not, by the way, just on the side of the left, because you also have people like Paul Ryan who are now coming out, and we saw this last week or just a couple of days ago, I posted it on Twitter and it went all super viral, where he said that he's not even going to go to the RNC, which is being held in Milwaukee, which is his home state, the state that he represented in Wisconsin won for 20 years. He said that he will boycott the Republican National Convention if Donald J. Trump is the nominee. So you're seeing the same type of the media and the establishment lining up against Trump and the working class. Do you see that same kind of narrative? 
And the I do, and the same strategy. If you remember, Mitt Romney laid it out at the, I believe it was the University of Utah. You know, vote for the strongest candidate in every state. We already see people doing this. And look, uh, you know, this is not to create a fracture between DeSantis's people and Trump's people, but the fact is, DeSantis is being used to be the stronger candidate in Florida. So if you're in South Carolina, Nikki Haley's running. Surprise, surprise. Vote for Nikki Haley. And this is what they did in 16. They just cobbled together the strategy way too late, Jack. This time it's going to be a little bit more. They have they have had some time and they're going to try to be a little bit more sophisticated with it. But I will tell you this, this idea, um, you know, I was talking to other pollsters today, earlier today about this. You had the Emerson poll come, come out. You have the Harris poll come out. And the reason why is because this other pollster and I, same, same dynamic, which is that Trump is running uh, stronger. But also, if you look back uh, right now, if depending on the poll you're looking at, whether it's any of them or the console poll, Politico's poll, Trump is performing. He's at a level right now. Again, once again, in a crowded field like it was in 2016, he's at a level that he didn't even achieve. In 16, he basically won that primary at 40 to 45 percent of the vote in the polls in the national polls going forward, uh, and that that's true even as late as Wisconsin and Indy, where they mounted the fight with Ted Cruz, and then Indiana, which ultimately, when Ted Cruz lost, that was it, right? They started at least ease up on this, but yeah, I I think that it's the same dynamic. But I I mean, the Washington Post is is leaving a big part out. He's performing stronger than he ever did in 16. So something has to happen to hurt him. There is an element, though, that wants him to just, they tell us they, they vote, that Trump is their number one uh, choice. But they do want Trump to focus on his record. And I, you know, we're looking and trying to measure that right now and see where, you know, what, what, how significant is that? Can it cost him the nomination? But they want him to basically just Grover Cleveland, this puppy, Jack. You know, you you ousted me. Everything was going well. I had a great record. You you ousted me. The country fell apart exactly how I told you it was going to fall apart. I told you so. I have a record. I got to come back and fix this thing up. Just like like Grover Cleveland did. Um, you know, which would be he would if, if he wins, he would be the second president behind Grover Cleveland to serve two non-consecutive terms like this. Um, I I again, I just don't know how much. Uh, that that part of the electorate is yet steadily, you know, really committed, uh, and that would because those people would be persuadable. Uh, I think at this point, Trump's ceiling is pretty high. I mean, his floor is pretty high, um, and and something else would have to happen, unlike last time, where uh, you know it, it, he there, he's got a vulnerability, but it's early. Uh, you you can't drag on beyond you know New Hampshire and South Carolina. You just can't. He'll win like he did last time. Well, and one of the most interesting pieces that I saw in the Washington Post uh, analysis, and it was sort of an analysis of a of the poll of polls, and I think you're also seeing this bear out in the Emerson poll today that came out, was that when they asked, uh, they went to the Trump voters and the or Trump supporters, and they also went to the DeSantis supporters, and they said, "Who's your second choice?" So, who's your second choice? So, for Trump supporters, pretty much their top second choice was Ron DeSantis, but for all the DeSantis voters or pretty much every single supporter, it was all Donald Trump. And there was actually that clip that was going around on Fox News this morning that basically said that she, she had the shirt on and she said either or. So with that type of dynamic, does it make sense then? Does Trump want it to be one on one or does he actually perform better because then he has the option of being able to go after more of those voters who are looking at him potentially as a second choice or uh, to your point could be persuaded? Yeah, I think it would be, and and I'm glad you brought that up, that part of the poll up. And it was, think about this too, when they're looking at this poll of polls, I would argue that a lot of those polls are way too educated for a Republican primary. That's why you're seeing really two universes right now. You have us, Harris, Emerson, and then you have some of these other ones that are kind of out in left field, uh, even though Fox is too educated, yet Trump still did so well in that poll. Uh, if you're anti-Trump, you'd want it to consolidate quickly. If you're Trump, you'd, you'd rather it be fractured uh, for a while. But here's here's the real hidden gem that nobody wants to say and you will not hear about in the media. We're including a question among Trump voters, and really it's everyone, I'm just, the, the difference is with Trump voters. If your guy does not win, will you vote at all in the fall? Because there's this massive chunk of Trump voters who just aren't going to vote Republican. They're not going to vote at all, Jack. Let me just 
leave everybody with this, you know, a uh, little food for thought, something to marinate on. 2016, we saw something that was unusual. This Obama coalition, Bernie coalition even come out and vote for a Republican candidate. In 2018, they just completely stayed home. In 2020, we saw again, not only them, but more come into the electorate. And then in 2022, they stayed home. So my, one of my main questions right now is if Trump was not to get the nomination, how many of these voters would not vote, period? Because I'm convinced, I mean, I, I think anyone who's being honest has to admit that there is a vote block that will come out for Trump that will not come out for a Republican. The counter argument to that is, well, he brings out Democrats too. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter whom, who is the nominee on the Republican side, Democrats are going to mail their ballots in, you know, like wink, wink, mail their ballots in. Those ballots are coming. So you better make sure you get as many voters to the polls to counter them as possible. And I'm going to have a good idea by, you know, uh, you know, not even by the end of this thing, Jack. I mean, the point is to try to gauge this early because I'm thinking it's it's 20, 30 percent. It's huge. There are just a ton of Trump voters who well, say and it's Trump and that's it. And, and, and Richard, you know, and, and sweetheart, you can mention this as well, because, look, we've been up to we were in central Pennsylvania recently and we were in western Pennsylvania. We went up to do a little skiing on the weekend. I've got a I've got a skier here, someone who is very interested, who loves it, actually fell you in love with it, it. <laughs> fell in love with it a couple of years ago. So we were so we went up. We were what in western PA and then we were up in Harrisburg recently. But tell us, what were the signs that we saw on every single house when we were driving around up in Pennsylvania those last two weekends. So the area of Pennsylvania where we were at, there's not much of a highway to say. Uh, and some of the little towns that we were passing by, they had huge, just those giant Trump 24 banners. And if I had to take a pick, I would say that majority of this little town will be voting Donald J. Trump. Right. They still they already have him up. We're what, 18 <laughs> months, 20 months away from the election. They've got Trump 2024. Some have Trump 2020. Some have Trump won. Rich, I've never seen. And have you seen anything like this in American politics? This idea that in, in these key parts of the Rust Belt that and it's the same story in West Michigan. It's the same story. Of course, we just saw East Palestine that they even out of office. They're still going for this guy. They still have this connection. I don't think there's anything been like this since the start of American, at least modern political history. Modern political history, if it's been around, uh, we weren't alive for it. Like if there's another example, we were not alive for this. And, uh, you know, we're in, a, uh, in our own area. There's certain parts of even other battleground states like Florida, North Carolina, um, where, you know, I think a Republican candidate's going to do well in Florida. It's not going to be Republican plus 20, folks, so don't get your hopes up there. In a presidential cycle, Florida will narrow again, although I think Florida is, is, is Republican at this point. But, you know, you look at some of these other states that are getting really close, Jack, and, you know, by us, for instance, there are these working class Hispanics. They haven't, you know, there are dumpsters all over the place because they're putting up houses and they haven't stopped spray painting the dumpsters Trump. You know, and on one side, it's like Trump won. The other side is like now we're getting close. To and the you're election. North Carolina. It's, That's North Carolina. Yeah. And these are like Guatemalans and Mexicans. You know, like these are working class Hispanics. Uh, if you go up to them and you ask wow. them whether they'll vote for anybody else, there is no chance. And I'll, I'll let you in on a little little uh, thing we're going to be talking more about. In the polling that we did in 2022, looking back at Laxalt, we had Lombardo winning by about a point and a half, two points. He won. But Laxalt fell shy. We did not have Lombardo up by five like some other people. I mean, uh, Laxalt by five by some other people. But we did think Laxalt was going to inch it out. Looking back at why Laxalt and Lombardo had close races versus, and it's not just Nevada, it's everywhere. Why Trump was polling so far ahead of these other candidates, it's urban and and then the rural he squeezes more out of rural uh voters as well but these non-white working class urban voters so in clark county we had lombardo down by about five that's what happened but trump was up by three in clark county in our polling in washoe it was about even lombardo just eked it out we had trump up by eight why it's not white voters in reno these are working class non-white voters and i shared the polling with you in pennsylvania even when we thought oz could eke it out a little bit he was nowhere near trump who was up by seven 
Why? Because of non-white and other white voters in Allegheny, where Oz did bad. Trump was at like 45%. So, uh, you know, these voters, you know, it's a, just a big question in my mind. I think it's one of the most important questions this cycle, which is if Trump doesn't get the nomination, if he's the favorite right now, but if he doesn't get it, how bad would this hurt the inevitable candidate? Those voters, will they vote? I think the answer right now, Jack, is no. And, you know, coming out of 2020, uh, you know, just hearing from these people and polling them, you know, well in, what, two years? Um, I don't know what somebody who's not a Trump could do to get them to vote. These are people who are either new to the process and are inspired by him, or they're really old to the process and quit a long time ago because they felt like their vote just didn't matter. I think Harrisburg, Juniata County, areas like that in Pennsylvania, those are like perfect examples of those voters who just maybe after Bush v. Gore just said, that's it, I'm done, you know? Uh, so they, they've been there, they just didn't have a, a much of vote history. And now they do. And then you have a lot of these newly naturalized, especially Hispanic men um, who would vote for Trump but would not, would not, obviously. Even though they told us if they were going to vote, they probably would have voted for Laxalt, but they didn't. If it was a presidential cycle, they would have voted. And we saw this, by the way, even in the Central Valley in California. So it's real. It's a big problem for Republicans, Jack. Big problem. Look, I think it's huge. And I, it's something where I and I've said this and, and President Trump has uh, re retweeted or retruthed, whatever you want to say, my proposal for this to say that you need to have if you're in a state that allows ballot harvesting, allows the drop boxes, you got to get in the game. You have to put these in the back of every church. You got to have them on every Sunday that's there. If there's a, 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 a you know, if there's a. Um, Shooting a gun, a gun show, shooting range, uh, at the at the racetrack, you know, all of these things. You've got to be able to find the voters where they are, because, by the way, and I say this as a son of Pennsylvania, that in the state of Pennsylvania, because, and I'm just going to put it out there, and as as political prognosticators, we have to talk about this, that there is a very good chance that Fetterman's seat could come up in 2024. There is a good chance just because oh, look, the, the medical issues are what they are. And, I, and my, you know, my heart goes out to him and the family, but it is what it is. And under Pennsylvania law, that, that the current governor, Josh Shapiro, would only have the ability to appoint someone until the next general election. When is that? 2024. There's also Casey's seat, which is coming up. And there's some rumblings out there, by the way, that I don't, I don't know if everybody knows this, but there's some rumblings that Bob Casey might not go up for re-election. So that Casey name that uh, basically gave him immortality and vulnerability in Pennsylvania. Now you have two potentially open seats or, you know, if Shapiro appoints like a Connor Lamb, he'd be running for a full term in his own right. Or excuse me, he'd be running for the final two years and then have to run in two years again, like Ossoff. So you might have a chance where Pennsylvania, you've got all those electoral votes that are on the table, plus two Senate seats, which, by the way, would swing the Senate all on the ballot on one year in a presidential cycle. I think you're going to see a ton in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Jack, we call it the Keystone State for a reason, right? I mean, really. Uh, and it right. could be it's always important, but it could be in, it's always important, but it could be even that much more important. I'm with you 100 percent on that. People always ask me all the time, how do we counter this ballot harvesting? The fact of the matter is you counter it. The best thing you could do about shenanigans or harvests of, uh, you know, operations that are legitimate is to reduce the size of the uh, of the remaining outstanding ballot count. That's the and how can you do that? Chase ballot yourself. That's the best way to do it. You know, we did speak to a lot of people who did a really good job last year doing that. Mark Molinaro in New York, his campaign was all about nudging, you know, those votes out there. I think California got lucky. I'm not giving them praise like so many other people do. Uh, they did not get lucky. They got a very white turnout and a very slow, a, a very low turnout. Again, when you look at places like the Central Valley where Democrats harvest, some of those Republicans are in deep, deep trouble. They will lose their races if Hispanics come out and they don't have a reason to vote Republican up and down the ballot. And just that's something for, food for more food for thought. So they didn't bring themselves to go to the polls and vote Democrat before, even with Democrats trying to harvest their ballots, 
but they still were not given a reason to vote Republican with the candidates, some of those candidates that Kevin McCarthy uh, backed and, and put on the ballot. They just, it, did, it wasn't enough. It didn't sell them. In 2024, these are people who do have presidential cycle vote history. They will come out and they'll make a decision one way or the other. If you don't give them a reason uh, to vote Republican at the top, chances are you're not going to give them one to vote at the bottom as well. So you could be looking at David Valadeo, Mike Garcia, definitely John Duarte, just all going down. Duarte won by like 400 votes in a majority Hispanic district where 50.8% turnout occurred, Jack, and it was 70 plus, 70 plus percent white. Richard, so we are, they we are coming up, coming up on my... Uh... Coming up on our final minute with you, what, um, where can people go to follow you? What are you going to be looking at ahead? Yeah, we're going to be doing that uh, public. It's going to be a public poll, a uh, nomination poll real soon. Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, noon to 12 is inside the numbers. But the best place to follow us, Jack, and what we're doing is on locals, peoplespundant.locals.com, and you could just see everything that's going on from there. Follow it all from there. Richard Varis, thank you so much for being with us. The People's Pundit. Any any message for Laura, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> well, my uh, my best wishes to the whole family, and uh, I just hope to see her soon. Yeah, uh, right, right. We'll back see you soon, you. my friend. And 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 strap in because we have a lot of work, Richard. We're going to be leaning on you a lot yeah. over these next twenty months through the primary, going through that cycle all the way to Milwaukee in twenty twenty four in the summertime. You and I will go get cheese curds together, and then of course <laughs> all the yes. way out. To, well, I'm not going to. I'm not go. I'm not going to Milwaukee and not getting cheese curds. You know that. Not of course, you'll have to bring some home with you as well. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm going to have them, and then I'm going to bring them home, and Kyle Rittenhouse. Is going to be there too, and it's going to be great. <laughs> Epic. L looking forward to it, guys. We're all going. We're all going. All right, Richard, we'll see you there, my friend. Folks, stay tuned because we have an update from Ukraine coming up next with the great Jordan Shocktel. So stick it right there. Jack Posobic, Tanya Tay, host of Human Events Daily, here sitting in for the great Stephen K. Bannon, War and Battleground. Despite the U.S. blowing through $31.4 trillion debt ceiling in January, the leftist White House still refuses to reduce spending. While our national leadership has buried their heads in the sand, when it comes to fiscal responsibility, it's time to pull yours out. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000, and it's only going to get worse. Now would be a great time to diversify into gold with Birch Gold. In times of high uncertainty and instability, gold is king because it's dependable. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text Bannon, that's B-A-N-N-O-N, -N to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of our precious metals specialists. Protect yourself with gold today by texting Bannon to 989898. That's Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-M, to 989898. With an A-plus rating, with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text Bannon to 989898 today to get your free info kit. Take action. Use your agency. In my younger days, I was a naval officer on a destroyer. In fact, I was the A-gang officer in charge of all the engineering systems that were not main propulsion. And one of those was air purification. And I can tell you, the standards of the United States Navy are second to none. If all home air purifiers are the same, why did the U.S. Department of Defense select EnviroCleanse to protect and purify the air on board our Navy ships. Because of Viracleanse, advanced mineral technology goes beyond ordinary HEPA filters to destroy airborne illness causing cold and flu viruses, including COVID. And Viracleanse is the new science in air purification. And now you can order one for your home. This is how you help stop colds and flus from taking your whole family down. This is how you destroy allergy and flaming toxins and mold from the air your family breathes. In fact, this hospital-grade technology is so powerful that it promises far fewer colds and allergies and better sleep.
Visit ekpure.com. That's ekpure.com and use the code STEVE for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home purification unit. You also receive a free air quality monitor plus fast free shipping. That's $150 savings right there. That's ekpure.com, code Steve. ekpure.com, code Steve. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Also, what NATO allies have agreed that uh, Ukraine will become a, a member of uh, our alliance, uh, uh, but at the same time, that ha- that is a long-term perspective. What is the what is the issue now is to uh, ensure that Ukraine prevail as a sovereign independent nation, and that therefore we need to support uh, Ukraine. I see that the future of Ukraine is to be part of European Union and also <coughs> member uh, of NATO. Um, we have taken many steps forward when it comes to military aid uh, to Ukraine, and I'm very glad that we are now cooperating together much more closely to um, uh, to give Ukraine more heavy weapons. Uh, I think the discussion now, even though it's have taken some time, it's been very important uh, concerning, for example, the Leopards. Uh, so countries are cooperating together uh, more closely uh, and more widely. And this is a very good thing. We have to support Ukraine as long as it takes. And they also need more heavy weapons. Uh, And the faster and the sooner we can give them more heavy weapons, the sooner the war will end. Uh, And this is something that we also need that uh, cooperation between the democratic countries. Finland has taken many decisions on armed support to Ukraine, and we are willing uh, to continue this as long as it takes. You know, the Ukrainian government is one of the worst in the world, Mm. you know, corrupt, controlled by a few rich people. I mean, really... uh, unfortunate for the people in Ukraine. Ukraine has better agricultural land than the United States does. I mean, it is the the breadbasket of Europe. It's an incredible location. All right, Bill Gates there saying that the government of Ukraine is one of the most corrupt in the world. And then you got Stoltenberg from NATO saying that we absolutely must bring Ukraine in, that it will be a member of NATO, which, of course, we're told is one of the things that started this entire conflict over and over because Russia does not want Ukraine, their, this buffer state, this formerly neutral country, uh, to be part of NATO. And, of course, you've got the Prime Minister of Finland say that we're going to do everything that it takes. We're going to do everything that it takes to continue this war. Well, to help explain all of this, because I think it's confusing for so many people especially people who have family and friends uh, that are in the region or from the region and understand the history of horrific warfare that's going on in this theater. I wanted to bring on Jordan Schachtel, the publisher of the dossier on Substack, who has been just an absolute expert on Ukraine. And, and Jordan, I, I, I don't know, have you ever actually agreed with Bill Gates before? Is this a first for you? This has to be a first. Uh, and Tanya and Jack, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So, so break it down for us. Why is it that on one hand you got a guy like Bill Gates of all people coming out saying that this is one of the most corrupt governments, but then also at the same time the head of NATO is saying they will be made a member. They're going to be brought in as a member. When of course corruption is one of the things that they look for when it comes to EU membership, NATO membership, etc. Yeah, and this whole idea that in the middle of fighting a war that we're somehow going to also wage this battle to make Ukraine a more transparent place. Like this is the worst possible time when they have so much, I mean, they shouldn't have leverage against us, but the reality is that, you know, this administration is just giving everything to them that they want, that they requested, you know, the hearing today uh, in Congress was all about sending them F-16s. Soon we can get their pilots trained on these sophisticated 
uh, fourth generation platforms that they've never even seen before that you know they can't even read the language so it's going to be an uphill battle to get transparency um, one of the, the some of the reports that are coming out of Ukraine are fascinating of course they've integrated like these fascist militias into their special forces because you know how can you blame them they're fighting a war but that's a whole separate issue. So you have this issue of extremists obtaining our weapons. You also have this issue of there's no real accounting process there. Um, Their military uh, high-ranking officials, write, as of recently, have been writing paper receipts when they get our weapons. Um, and, and now uh, Colin Call, one of the top um, defense officials in the U.S. and the Biden administration, close advisor to Joe Biden himself, said that they've actually now exported scanners to Ukraine so they can scan in uh, these munitions now when they get them. So they're very positive that there's going to be some type of transparency. But I, I totally agree with Bill Gates on this issue that, that there's no way we're, we're going to fix the corruption in Ukraine, especially in the middle of a war that is that is capturing everyone's attention right now. Well, you, you've written quite extensively about the the oligarchs in Ukraine. We, we hear about the oligarchs of Russia all the time. The some are some are pro most are pro Putin, but you also have these sort of like anti Putin oligarchs that are mostly outside of Russia. But we suddenly stopped hearing completely about the oligarchs of Ukraine. And, and, and I've certainly reported on this quite a bit. Uh, what is the status of them right now? Because you had an interesting piece up the other day where you said, you look reading the tea leaves that you didn't think that Russia was a country that was ripe for a coup, but potentially Zelensky might be looking at one himself. Yeah, our corporate press has been on a spin campaign on overdrive in recent weeks and months because Zelensky or whoever is directing him has been firing basically every single uh, high ranking member in, in Kiev, every member of their bureaucracy, you know, the deputy minister of everything, the, uh, the, the three top ranking officials in the minister, Ministry of the Interior, Interior Department, um, which is a significant position, they recently died in a helicopter crash over Kiev. So there's all this weird stuff happening. Um, just Sunday, Zelensky fired his top general, who was responsible for commanding the joint forces in Ukraine. He's gone, hasn't really given an excuse to what exactly is going on. And we know through his public bickering with um, particularly uh, Klitschko, you know, the former boxing champion who's the mayor of Kiev, that Zelensky is very well aware of the reality that there are people who are trying to uh, usurp his political position. Yeah, Zelensky, of course, is very influential with his foreign backers, but domestically, the situation is getting more and more dicey, whereas in Russia, it's the exact opposite situation. Um, unfortunately, the polling in Russia isn't great, but there's an independent pollster called the Levada Center, uh, which is recognized by the West as an independent pollster, and they have Putin's approval rating at 82%. So I don't think that Putin should really fear so much of a coup, even though the Western presses and Western officials are insisting that is the case, I think it's much more likely that Zelensky's um, internal political position of power is certainly in play and will continue to be so as you know the fog of war kind of clears, as this honeymoon period continues to drift away, as all this these hundreds of billions of dollars continue to enter Ukraine and Ukraine is seemingly not capable of pushing back these Russian offenses in areas where the population seems to be not so hostile to Russia. So he's got a lot in his plate, and there are certainly going to be opposing forces within the country that Zelensky's foreign supporters might not be able to handle so easily. Well, no, I think that's right. And, and I think everyone should remember that Zelensky's main opponent, or, or if for folks who aren't, aren't aware of this, when he ran for president, was the former president of Ukraine, Petro Poroshenko, who is an oligarch in his own right. Uh, he's actually known for uh, confectionaries. They call him the chocolate man. And this idea that he is, by the way, still 
a member of the Rada, which is Ukrainian parliament. And so he still wields a strong amount of political power. So could be a potential rival for Zelensky if he's able to gobble up, sort of uh, collect these different various factions that perhaps are, don't like the fact that Zelensky has been taking this money. And, and at the end of the day, because we see day after day after day, and, uh, you know, and, and not to put you on the spot, but I know that you look at some of the, the stories that have come out, the families. Um, does it seem to you like these families that are caught in the middle of this are getting any of this money, all these billions of dollars that are going back and forth? So the topic of Ukraine is probably one of the hardest for me to talk about because I have so many ties uh, to that part of the world. This is where I came from. And looking back at it, uh, I mean, we're looking at a one-year mark, and uh, God only knows how long this will continue going on. And if you hear about the policies that are being discussed with all the talks from NATO, you know, all the billions of dollars pouring in the country. We are so far from even reaching any agreement or coming to the peace. And I think if you uh, come to the common folk and if you ask them what they want, they don't want the money. They don't want all the guns pouring in their country. I think they want peace. I think they want their sons home. I think they want their husbands home. I think they want the families who are right now scattered all over the world, speaking million languages, the ones that they don't even understand, having their kids going to schools that are dictating their rules. I think they just want everybody home in Ukraine. And I think the main focus should and safe. be and safe. Main, definitely safe. And they want to keep the family together because no mm. amount of money can make up for a missing dad, a wow. missing brother, a lack of sons by their mother's side. So uh, for the people of Ukraine, and if we really talk about what the people of Ukraine want, we need to approach them and not just listen to all the politicians who are interested in the money aspect of it, because money is power, is influence. And what the common people want, they want peace and they want um, prosperity of their home and they want to be in their countries. Wow. Tell us, tell us how you really feel. Tell us how you really feel. Just, just, just my few, uh, you know, just a, uh, a couple of ideas. I'd be holding up on that, holding up on that. No, but, but Jordan, that's, that's exactly right. Because pr prior to all of this, uh, this war, it's exactly what Bill Gates said that I think Zelensky, the main thing people knew him for was the Panama Papers. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, um, you know, Tanya makes a great point that, especially in Ukraine, it's a country that's very divided, but we only hear really one perspective. Um, and that's because Zelensky has basically eliminated the media and political opposition through uh, orders of, of fiat, where he just says that he has the power because of martial law and he's shutting down your TV station or he's imprisoning his political opponents. And this is the fight for democracy they're supposedly having. Um, but yet, I mean, the, the oligarch situation in Ukraine, as a, as, along with many post-Soviet countries, is unfortunately brutal. And there are a lot of people responsible for that situation occurring. And, and <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but Bill Gates is exactly right. You know, this is a land with extremely rich resources, yet extreme poverty. And if you think that U.S. aid uh, is going to the individual Ukrainian citizens, I would point you to the $2.3 trillion that was allocated to Afghanistan and all of these reports from rights <laughs> right. organizations where the children are starving in Afghanistan. So, so where did all the money go? You think this $100 billion every single year that's going to Ukraine is going to feed families? Uh, sadly, no. It seems that it's just going to support the war effort to pay off uh, bureaucrats to make sure they're on sides. But the, you know, the, the people who always get screwed in these wars is the average citizen and the average family that's not politically connected. And it's kind of just a, the, the global theme of, of intercontinental conf, inter conflict with these great powers. Well, I think that's exactly right. And and at the same time, we also have to remember there are people back in the United States that are making money off of this. Uh, 
there's been some reporting that uh, your your good friend and mine, uh, Colonel, 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 Colonel Alexander Vindman is is you know hanging a shingle out there with he and him and his brother, and they want to create a defense contracting company that's going to be doing logistics to try to make money off of the middle piece of this because you're going to have all this American equipment going over there, tanks and other vehicles that are potentially going over, maybe even M16s as well. And who's going to do the maintenance on them? Who's going to be able to do that? You, you can't train somebody to learn how to fix one of these things just in the middle of the war while you're fighting this and you haven't done any training on it before, the Bradley fighting vehicles, the strikers, et cetera, that they're talking about bringing over. So what does Zelensky want to do? Or excuse me, uh, what does um, Vinman want to do? He wants to go and set up Americans bring veterans over defense contract. This is the same type of mission creep that happened in Afghanistan. And prior to that happened in Vietnam. Well, suddenly now there's Americans there that are veterans. And then, oh, what happens if one of those veterans get hit? Because if you set up one of these centers, what do you think the Russians are going to strike first? Right. They're not going to go for each tank. But if they can take out the place they build it, look, it is mission creep. Jordan, fantastic uh, points today. Let us know where can people go to follow you to get more information? Yeah, you can find all of my work over at the dossier at, on, at Substack, dossier.substack.com. So much appreciate having conversation with you guys. Always good times. Uh, incredible. Jordan Schachtel, everyone, I urge everyone to go and check out the dossier, check out his work. Appreciate it. We'll have to have you on and certainly have you on for Human Events Daily as well sometime. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. And and that really is, I think, one of the biggest pieces. And I appreciate you saying that, dear, is that, you know, I think in all of these cases that you're right there, is, you know, and look, I, I look at it from a military perspective. You know, what's is Bakhmut going to be encircled? Is Solidar going to fall? What's next? Uh, what's going on in Odessa? Is Transnistria going to kick off? But at the same time, there are people, little people, the regular people, the normal people, the Lao Beijing the deplorables that are just caught up in the middle of all of this that they never get asked, do they? They they really don't. Uh, they just got the, um, handed a decision that um, right now this is what's happening without even being heard. Uh, they've been, many of them have no choice but to flee the country because they don't want to get caught in the, in the, in fire. They fear for their life. And I think um, what those people really want is to leave um, in their houses, you know, go to their schools, um, not have to worry about speaking another language. Ukrainian people are literally being stripped of their national identity. When they're being sent all over the world as refugees, where nobody speaks their language, their kids are not learning their language, where they have uh, all close to zero of Ukrainian culture to fall on. Um, we're looking at the destruction of Ukrainian national identity. And that's that uh, while, people while, don't while realize people that a lot charge. of those people, a lot of those people are just going to just to point out that you, you're also going to have situations where people leave. Um, they, they may not be able to come back. They may not be able to afford to go back. They've got to find work. Now, you don't speak the language if you're in if you're in France, if you're in Germany, if you're in, uh, you know, even 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 with Poland, at least there's there's more uh, there's more there. But but I think you're right. I think that's absolutely true. But we do have um, we have a special guest here. I believe we have Boris. We have Boris on the line. I'm here. Hey, Boris, you're here with Jack and Tanya. Hey, hey. Hey, Jack. Hey, Tanya. How y'all doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having us. Now, we just had we we were we were talking to Jordan Chucktail about Ukraine, but then we were also talk, going through Richard Barris. A lot of these new polls that we're seeing come out of the presidential field. Uh, it's early. He says that he thinks Trump is the favorite. You're seeing some uh, you're seeing some support for DeSantis, obviously, the coalescing there. But there's also these all these other guys out there. What are you looking at when you see these polls? How do you break them down? Well, the, the poll that came out today from Emerson is about as close to reality from a mainstream left of center poll. President Trump at 55. The governor of Florida is at 25. And the, the, all the other gnomes are under eight. What's interesting is that. Pence and Nikki Haley each uh, grouped two points from January, and that total of four is what the governor of Florida went down from 29 to 25. President Trump at 55 continued to dominate the field, absolutely destroying everybody else, and that's and that's where this race stands. It's not it's not a real contest. 
the MAGA movement, the Republican Party, the real Republican Party, are with President Trump. You saw this even on Fox News this morning. You got Brian Kilmeade at a, uh, at a diner in what I believe to be uh, DeSantis' district trying to go around saying, who do you support? Everybody said Trump. They found one woman in a DeSantis shirt. She said, well, I'm not sure. Maybe DeSantis, maybe Trump. The American people with President Trump and the polls are reflecting that he's dominating this race. Now, do you think that's going to stay that way? Do you think any what, what if uh, what if Pompeo gets in? What if Tim Scott gets in? Some of these other names. Do you think that'll have any effect whatsoever? Yes, I think it, it, the effect it'll have is it'll make it even clearer how much the American people and our country need Donald Trump, President Donald J. Trump, back in the Oval Office. And I think his lead is only going to continue to grow, and you've seen that over the last several months. And again, look at what's still happening: Pence, Nikki Haley, others. They're not pulling for President Donald J. Trump. President Trump continues to go up. They're pulling from DeSantis and others. And it's just, yeah, it's a competition for second, third, fourth place. That's why it would be smart for all these so-called candidates to not get in the race, call us behind President Trump, and let's go win the White House back. Do you think that that when, you know, looking at the VP side, that any of these might, many of these people might be throwing their hats in because they're looking to actually run for a VP pick, actually looking for that second slot? Maybe yes, maybe no. Jack, I think that's a good question. You never know people's motivation. Maybe the D-side, maybe it's to sell books, maybe it's to get contracts. But what is absolutely clear is none of them have a shot to be the Republican nominee. That's going to be President Donald J. Trump. And for those who haven't gotten in, they should be thinking long and hard about whether they want to end their political careers and enter the quicksand. Because if you look at 2016, President Trump decimated the Republican establishment before crushing the Democrat establishment. And I don't think any of these candidates... Bars, we're, we're just about... Um, I'm running out of clock here, man. Where can people follow you? Thanks so much. Borisipi.com is the website. Hotborisipi.com. Hot at Borisipi on Getter, at Borisipi on Twitter. Hot on True Social at Boris. And the hottest on the ground, Boris underscore Epstein. Stay strong. God bless. I'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplug Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out.